0: So you did move out at 15.
1: I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. And that's why I was like, I have to leave. Sorry, my mom's like literally in this (laughs) podcast room right now listening to this.
0: The margins on what you're doing are slim, right? No. Okay, that's a big deal.
1: They don't take inquiries or anything. It's like only if you know, you know.
2: I I actually think that's an important thing to, to talk about.
1: Stop thinking like that. Like, don't be scared.
2: Can you give us an idea of like roughly how many hoodies you've sold? Today on The Colin and Samir Show, we're joined by my fam.
0: MyFam is a lifestyle creator who started uploading YouTube videos when she was seven years old. Today, she has over 3 million subscribers. And the first time we met Mai, what really piqued our interest was not just her incredible depth with her community or her vulnerability on camera, but it's actually the fact that she's built this incredibly impressive brand called Alchemy. In her last merch drop, she sold out 6,000 hoodies in under 10 minutes. And even more interesting is the way that she markets it through an exclusive spam Instagram account. And we get into that in this episode. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. So creators like my are flipping entrepreneurship on its head. The traditional form of entrepreneurship is building a product and then going out to market to try and find customers or an audience for that product. But creators are building audiences first and then finding products that match the needs of that audience. And our store, along with almost every creator we talk to who builds a brand, they're all built on Shopify. Shopify is the easiest way to launch an e-commerce brand. It's super easy to build a site, add products, and it seamlessly integrates with all social platforms so we can sell directly here on YouTube or even on Instagram. If you're a creator who has an audience but you don't have a product yet, you can actually use Shopify Collabs to find merchants that have products that you can promote. Or if you're doing your first ever merch drop, you can use the Shopify app store to find the right print on demand partner who can lower the barrier to entry for you to get your product out there. There's definitely a reason why the most successful creator brands are built on Shopify. So if you have an idea that you want to launch or you just want to explore the world of e-commerce, click the link in our description, go to shopify.com slash Colin and Samir. All right, now for our conversation with my fam. Hi, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: yeah, we're excited to, to chat with you. You might be the first creator we have had on that started YouTube at seven years old.
1: I mean, I would say it's not the most common thing for a child to be on the <laughs> internet. So, I mean, back in like 2010 as well, like what was the internet?
0: Yeah, I mean, when you've put that into uh, perspective, like 2010 was when you were seven. Yeah. So we were graduating college. Oh, okay. We yeah, okay. need to date ourselves <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <but laughs> at I'm the just, top of the episode. I, I, I'm just putting it into perspective of like, w- you know, the internet was at a nascent stage at that point, like internet video, when we first approached it. But you approached it as a child, which must like psychologically change your whole connection to even yourself, your own identity, watching yourself back. I'm curious, like, what was the impetus to uploading at seven years old?
1: To be honest, I was just in my room a lot. I grew up with immigrant parents and also my grandma raising me. So the way that I was raised was really traditional. And it's like, you always hear people say like, oh, you know, my parents didn't allow me to go to sleepovers and stuff. And that was the same thing with me, but like to another extent. Like I wasn't really, my parents were always at work. So my grandma was the one raising us and she never really let us like go outside and play with our friends or go to the park because she deemed it as something that was like unsafe. So it's like, okay, as long as you're in the house, I don't care what you're doing, but you Have to be in the house. Like your friends can come over, but you can't leave. So a lot of the times, like I was just in my room and I had a computer. So I was just online. And since I didn't have like a lot of friends in real life to hang out with, I would just be going online and like watching YouTube videos. And like to me, those people were my friends and they'd be like unboxing toys or like playing with their Easy Bake Oven. And I was super into like gaming because my brother was a gamer as well. He was like three years older than me. So we would play Minecraft together when we were kids. And I would always watch streamers, well, not streamers, back in the day. Yeah, streamers and people like game on YouTube. And I was like, oh, like these are my friends. And in that way, I was like, wait, I want to start doing this. And I remember, I, I don't know, I just remember like going to my mom's room one day and I was like, can you take me to Walmart? Like, can we please buy these littlest pet shop toy sets? And she was like, okay. And we went out and we bought it. And I just started making like little YouTube videos with these toys. And like, that's how it all started. And like on my channel now, there's a video from 2010. And it's literally me unboxing my toys.
0: Wow. Interesting. So to you, it was almost having a parasocial relationship with YouTubers and being like, well, my friends are doing this and I want to do it too, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty normal response for any kid to feel like,
2: all my friends are playing basketball. I want to play basketball. Yeah, That's really interesting. So did you do it consistently from the age of seven? What did it evolve into after you upload videos of you playing with toys?
1: (sighs) I would say it was on and off. I think it was something that I was always super passionate about. Like growing up, I always knew that I wanted to be in entertainment. And I think that it was something like also pushed on me by my parents. Just because like when I was growing up, you know, I used to sing and like do karaoke and all that stuff. And I think they kind of saw that like I enjoyed doing that sort of thing. So when I was younger, I was in piano lessons, guitar lessons, singing lessons. And I think that from the ages of probably like since I could remember, I was like, I'm going to be a singer. Or just something in entertainment. So I always knew that was like the route that I was gonna take. So I would always be constantly trying to create new things or, you know, make it somehow. So I think it just grew up with me and I went from like playing with my toys to playing games online to, you know, making like baking videos and singing videos. So it was like whatever I was passionate about at the time, I would just make videos and upload them.
0: What was the experience of watching them back at that age? like? Did you, were you self-conscious? Like, did you look at yourself at, you know, maybe seven or 10 years old and have any reservations or fear of judgment from others?
1: I'm not going to lie, no. But I think it's because my, like, my mom especially and, like, my family just in general were, like, my biggest hype men when I was younger because they saw, they wanted me to be a singer so bad. Like, they would take me to singing competitions and all that stuff. And, like, I wanted to be on TV. And, like, they saw that, like, I wanted to do entertainment. So whenever I would, like, put myself out there... I mean they didn't know about the whole internet but they would kind of push me and I think that in my head when I was younger I kind of implement it was implemented in my head that like it was meant for me in a way so I never really saw it as something where I would be self-conscious about and I think since at such a young age that was implemented into me, I was so delusional. Like I remember going to school and everyone knew at the age of seven, like grade one, like, oh yeah, my, like the YouTuber, like whatever. Everyone's parents knew that that's what I wanted to do. My teachers knew that that's what I wanted to do. Like I have report cards from when I was 10 years old of my teachers writing like, oh, one day, like you'll make it and all of that stuff. We're like, congratulations on 300 subscribers. And like they DM me it like now and they're like, wow, I look back at all your old stuff it's and it's crazy. Yeah. Um, So, no, I would never say that I was self-conscious because I think I claimed the title of, like, being a YouTuber before it even existed. And since not very many people knew what that was, it was kind of just like, oh, whatever. Like, we're just used to her doing it. So I wasn't really judged too much in school until maybe high school. But I always felt like that was a part of my identity growing up.
0: This podcast is supported by our friends at Kajabi. Kajabi is one of the most significant brands in the creator economy. Creators have earned over $6 billion on the platform through selling courses and membership. And Colin, do you know how Kajabi was started? I don't. So the founder wanted to manufacture a toy for his kid, but over time realized that manufacturing and fulfillment was really complicated. So he actually ended up making a video about how to make toys. And then realized there was no good way to sell knowledge-based videos online. So he built Kajabi.
2: So the platform is actually built by an online creator. That's really cool. And it just makes me think about how many opportunities there are in education right now. There are so many things that people know that other people would love to learn, but that they just don't have access to.
0: And I think online creators are the absolute best teachers right now. We all know how to engage an audience through video. When we were thinking about launching our course business, student experience was the number one thing we wanted to make sure was excellent. And after looking at all the options, Kajabi was the one that really stood out because of their templates as well as everything that's built in. We're able to offer worksheets, videos, live sessions, challenges, and even a built-in community all through Kajabi. So if you're interested in checking out Kajabi, go to kajabi.com slash Colin and Samir. All right, back to the episode. You know, I, gr- I grew up in a first-generation immigrant household, right? Yeah. Like, my parents grew up in India. And so you're kind of learning whatever the culture is that you're growing up in. You're teaching it to your parents, right? Because mm-hmm. you're the one experiencing Canadian culture. Um, you know, they, they have not experienced it; you're experiencing it. But that also typically coincides with fear. Um, and creative career paths are not typically part of the Asian American experience, right? Like it was not part of my experience. Like to me, I felt like it was something that I could control and it was my path towards independence. Um, But it's not common to hear that your family felt like they wanted you to be a singer or pursue that. Path of being creative.
1: Yeah, they wanted me to be a singer. I don't know, but I think it's because my dad and his family were very musically talented. Like, they all had a band together and, like, that's what they did. And I think that they saw maybe that potential in me when I was younger. They didn't know anything about the internet, though, you know? So when they saw me, like, doing these things, they didn't really think twice about it. They weren't like, oh, she's gonna go online and make that a living. But it's more like, oh, she's just, like, you know, a kid, you know, trying to Hmm. do the things that she's passionate about. But I do remember, like, my cousins were all super smart and stuff like that. But same thing with my sister. And it's just, you know, put upon you, like, be a doctor, go do this, you know, be a dentist. Well, your cousin's out here doing this. Why aren't you out here doing this? But I remember when I was, like, probably middle school, high school, and I was doing it a lot more frequently, like, making YouTube videos. And my grandma would be like, stop making YouTube videos. Like, you need to go study. You need to go tutor. You need to go do your piano lessons. Like, stop playing with your phone and making videos. And I remember being, like, so – delusional because I wasn't making any money, but I was telling her and I was like, no, like, I promise you, like, it's going to make money. Like, I'm going to make money. I'm going to show you. I'm going to make money from it. Like, this is a career path. And I just kind of like kept telling them like, this is something that I'm going to make money from.
0: Was money a big deal in your household? Like, was it often talked about? Was it, what was your relationship to money growing up?
1: I mean, I feel like money is just such a big deal in just immigrant households in general because that's the only like tangible thing that you can show them where they would have an understanding. Like they don't know what the internet is. They don't know what YouTube is. They don't know what making a video is. Like they would never understand that. But what they can understand is a dollar sign right in their face. So I knew that if I could make money and I could show them that they would finally understand. So I would say, you know, it was definitely a big deal because the only reason why they're like, oh, but go be a doctor and go be a dentist is because… You know, traditionally, like, that's all people would understand if they went to go tell their aunties, like, I mean, well, my aunties, oh, is a doctor, then they'd be like, oh, she's making good money. But it's also a
0: respected career. Yeah. A
1: hundred percent. Right. But if I could show them in a different way, I was like, watch.
2: So what were the signs for you that this would work? That, like, you weren't just delusional, this is, like, this is working?
1: <sighs> Honestly, I just saw everybody else do it online. And mm-hmm. I was like, if they can do it, why wouldn't I be able to do it? And I really think it— I credit it to claiming the title of like being a YouTuber or like, you know, that's, I, I said I was going to be a YouTuber, and I just kept following through with it, and I claimed that title. And I think there's this book; it's called *Atomic Habits* by James Clear, oh, and love he that talks moment. all about, yeah. you know, how instead of saying that, "Oh, I'm going to go on a run," or "I'm going to be a runner," or you know, like "I want to be an athlete," you got to say, "Like, I am an athlete. I am a runner," and claim that title so that when you make the decisions every single day, you make it out of being that identity. And I think that such, since I claimed being a YouTuber at such a young age, I did everything out of that, and I just. Even aside from like the entertainment fact of things, I think that I was raised in a way to always kind of be a hustler because Mm. money was always up and down growing up. Um, I wouldn't say (laughs) that we were like had a lot of money, but, you know, we had times where like we were stable, but then we had really, really, really bad times when like, you know, debt collectors were calling our house every day. And it's like we had to unplug the landline, like stuff like that. And it's like I remember being really young and I had this one instant that i think like changed my life forever because it was the worst feeling inside of me and i remember when we were like fine and stable we had like an online tutor, and they had our credit card number and they wouldn't let us cancel and i remember we didn't like have that much money to like continue and like they would not let us cancel and i remember it being like a huge thing that like you know was talked about for some reason we were like what do we do like what do we do like we don't have the money and i remember going to sleep that night with like this feeling in my gut and it was just terrible. And I was starting to worry about what we were going to do. And I think now that's like led to so many different things of the reason as to why like I handle money the way that I do. But from that point on, I was like, okay, I got to go make my own money. I remember I had like my parents used to be in construction and I remember they had like this little cart for something and I like ended up just putting a tablecloth over it. I made lemonade and I knocked on every neighbor's door mm-hmm. around the neighborhood and I just asked them if they wanted like lemonade or like I remember <laughs> when I was younger I would watch like squishy videos on YouTube and I was like how can I sell that to people? And I remember ordering off of Alibaba at the age of like 11 years old like uh-huh. 100 squishies and like selling them on like Etsy. You know like just trying to figure out ways to make money.
0: There's a balance of like control there, mm-hmm. you know, of like f- the thing that you think is the most stable when you're a kid is your parents. Yeah, And yeah. when you see it it go a little unstable or on 100%. rocky foundation, your desire is for control, right? Your desire is like, well, I, that reality is shaky, which mm-hmm. I didn't anticipate. So I'm going to make my reality not shaky. Yeah,
1: right. 100%. And I think it just like makes me feel, it made me feel just like a little bit more confident, like knowing, okay, like, Whatever happens, like, I'll be okay, you yeah. know? Because you never, I feel like with family situations, it's very hard to control those circumstances. And as a kid, like, that's your whole life because that's your family, that's where you're living. And when you see that you, like, th- you don't have any sense of control over it and it's just happening to you, it's the worst feeling ever. So I think that being able to figure out things by myself made me go to sleep at night feeling a little bit better.
2: Yeah. yeah. So when was the moment that YouTube gave you that sense of control? financially like is there a moment where you're making videos and things start to click Mm -hmm. and money comes your way
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i remember i think i was like 14 when i started making money on youtube but by that time i was already doing it for seven years um and I started making money, and it was like maybe a hundred dollars, like two hundred dollars. That didn't do much, but you know, I could go buy lunch for myself and go to McDonald's. After At school. fourteen,
2: mm-hmm. that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a lot yeah, yeah, of money.
1: And I was like going, especially
2: sh- if it's something you like doing, right? Oh, All of 100%, a sudden money shows up.
1: A hundred percent. And then, yeah, I was just making like a little bit of money, and then it went up to like a thousand dollars a month. And I was that's like, crazy. Yeah, yeah, I was fourteen, yeah. but again, I was like hustling. Still, so I was posting every single week. Um, and at that point I was doing it consistently because I think from that point on, I was like, this is going to be my job. Like I have to take it seriously because in the back of my head, I wanted to move out. Like I couldn't stand being at home anymore. Like I wanted to leave so badly and I was like, I need to be able to make money so that I can do things myself. And with that thousand dollars, I remember I was like in high school in grade nine and on the weekends, (laughs) sorry, my mom's like literally in this podcast (laughs) room right now listening to this (laughs) on the weekends. So I used to play sports. I played volleyball, I played basketball, I was in boxing, I was a state badminton, well, provincial badminton player. Like, I played every sport on the planet just to try to avoid being at home as much as possible. So with that, I also played club volleyball, which means that you were away a lot more on the weekends and stuff, and you had, like, weekend tournaments in other cities. So I remember with the money that I had, I would book— like, Airbnbs in other cities five hours away, and I would book a Greyhound bus, and I would get my friend's mom to pick me up and take me to go to the bus station, and I would tell my parents and my grandma, oh, I'm, like, going to go to a sports tournament. Oh, wow. And I would hop on the Greyhound bus as a 14-year-old and go to another city and explore it myself and, like, use the money that I had to, you know, make it work and, like, Cause I don't know, my life at home was not very great. And I feel like it was very hard to like find that little sunshine of light. And I think that was that for me is like being able to move out and do my own thing.
0: So you did move out at 15. I did. I did. Which is very young to, to move out of your parents' house. Yeah. Talk to me about that decision and what happens in your life after that.
1: I think sitting in my room every single day and just like, I was, for as long as I can remember, I was depressed. And I remember one morning I woke up and my room was really messy and dirty. And I actually used to make videos about cleaning my room at 2 a.m. Because my room was so messy as a kid because I was like depressed. I didn't want to wake up and I didn't want to clean my room. I couldn't. And I remember my dad like yelling at me being like, oh, your room is so messy. Like you need to clean it. This, this, is and that. Got into this heated argument. Basically he told me to like leave the house. And like, you know, I could have brushed it off and been like whatever and came back home and it would have been nothing. But I was like, I, I actually will. Like watch me, I will. And I remember calling my best friend up and her and her mom picked me up that morning. I packed a backpack. And from that point on, like, I just never went back home. I just stayed in her basement. So I stayed there for the whole summer and I was like, what am I going to do next? Like, I I can't even stand living in this town. Like, I just knew that it wasn't good for me. And I genuinely didn't know what I was going to do because I just was so sad that I was scared for myself. You know, I was like, it's going to only get worse from here. And that's why I was like, I have to leave because you know, they always say like your environment just like can shape you so much and it can change just everything. So I was like, as long as I leave, I know that it'll only get better from here. So then my friend's mom, the same one that, you know, picked me up. She helped me go to my house one day when I knew my parents weren't home. I grabbed my dresser. I grabbed my bed. I put all my clothes in trash bags and I put it in the back of the truck. And then we just drove two hours to another city. And um, thankfully, my sister lived in the uh, city two hours away and she was a college student and we just split rent and we lived in like a two-bedroom apartment didn't have any furniture in the living room the whole time we lived there because we were so
2: broke Mm. Did, did your sister feel similarly to you like did your siblings feel similarly to you in that they had to get out of the house
1: I would say it just progressively got worse and worse as time gone on. My sister's six years older than me. So by the time she graduated and left the house, it was still – it was okay. It was a stable – obviously, you know, you always have family problems. But it was still okay because we all had each other. And it was kind of a little bit more normalized because we would talk to each other, maybe a little bit. We weren't even that close. But it just felt like a little bit more like a family. But once my sister left, my brother also left. He moved out at 16, and he went to go live with his girlfriend. And once my brother left and it was just me – it just, it it just felt so lonely. Like it did not feel like a a home at all. And so I would say they kind of went through similar similar things, but just all very different. Yeah.
0: So that experience of feeling like that, um, and making YouTube videos, that feels like an interesting two things to be happening at the same time. Yeah. Because like, if I'm not in a good space, I don't want to make a video. Mm-hmm. But you were making videos through that. So what 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 was that experience like? Was YouTube and like the audience you were building feeling more comfortable for you like than your actual reality? Like was your online reality feeling better?
1: A 100%. And I think that's always how it's been is that like, growing up, I didn't really have a lot of friends. I would say like I had friends, but I was never the one to be picked first. I was never the one that friends would be like, oh, like, let me come pick you up, like, let's hang out. I would always be at home and I would like check my snap maps and all my friends would be at a location together you know it's like I was friends with these people but I was never their first choice so it was kind of this shitty feeling of like always feeling left out and to me being able to go online and have that community and reading the comments where people were like rooting for me and I felt like people actually cared it was always such a sense of security for me is like you know even if I'm getting bullied in school even if I don't have a lot of friends well I have friends online so whatever and I really felt like they were like my true friends and like Although like I was in a shitty mood and I was depressed, I didn't know any better. I didn't know what it felt like to feel any different. So to me, like that was just who I am was just like pessimistic and negative. And that if you watch my old videos, oh my God, the amount of self-deprecating jokes I would make about myself and like I was not the person that I am. And I think it's interesting seeing the growth. That I had, like, I can't even watch my old videos because I'm like, why were you saying that about yourself? You could see how unconfident I was. But I think that I found humor through it, through YouTube and like, you know, oh my God, yeah, I'm depressed, cleaning my room. haha. like, let's make a joke out of this. So I think that I really was able to express myself online.
2: Yeah. How do you, when you develop that relationship though with your audience of like, <laughs> not only do they depend on me, I sort of depend on them. And you feel like you have a level of trust there between the audience. How do you deal with it? of course there are comments that are not positive. Like that happens for anyone. They don't exist
1: to me. <laughs> Delete, all of a sudden it's not there.
2: <laughs> like how do you compartmentalize that? Like,
1: I noticed that if I try to hide it and like, you know, I'm maybe I'm going through the worst month of my life and all these things are going wrong and like the business is going wrong, everything's going wrong. And I like try to keep it to myself. I always just end up feeling worse and worse and worse. Cause I feel like there's this like expectation to be had. Like I'm like, okay, I have to be this certain type of way to go online. But then I'm like, wait, what if I just let my guard down and let people know what's actually going on? Like, maybe, maybe I'll feel better. And I noticed actually recently I was going through this whole thing with business and just, I was having a real tough time the past, like four months. I'm Better now though. And I remember I was going through that and it was hard for me to like talk about it because it's like, you're, you're going through business things. You don't want to share about how yeah. bad your business is going, yeah. but It was like a month or two of me hiding this all, and then I just decided to go on my spam account, and I spammed maybe 20 stories on there, just talking, 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 talking. At one point, I'm like crying, and I'm like telling them all about how I've been feeling lately, and I'm not going into the nitty-gritty of like the actual details, but I'm just telling them, and I just read all the DMs that flood in, and they're like, oh my god, I've been feeling the same way, or like, oh my gosh, yeah, I've kind of noticed in your videos you're not as open anymore, I've noticed this and this and that but seeing that like people actually care and seeing that like maybe there's a lot of people that find relatability in this and we're bonding over this together just lifted so many things off my shoulders and i felt like it was a breath of fresh air that you know maybe i don't have to come online and be happy all the time and be this person that people are like, oh, she's so productive. Like I watch her for motivation. I can also do the flip side of things where I can tell them like, hey, I'm having the shittiest time ever, but here I am. And they'll still watch. And I think like having that strong community has really helped me continue on and like not feel the sense of burnout because I can always be open.
0: I'm excited to talk about the private Instagram. uh, I don't, we're gonna get to it, but I wanna ask you about, we just talked about like, uh, you know, outlets and and people to to trust as a creator. you signed with a manager at 16, right? Yeah. So at that stage, are you living with your sister? Are we at that part of the story where you're like Mm -hmm. living out of the house? What was the experience of signing with that manager? And you're still with that manager today, Yes, I love you, Charlie. Yeah, and that's hard. Like creators finding a credible, trustworthy manager, especially at 16 years old, like talk to me about that experience and building a team at that age.
1: I remember I had, this was the realization when I realized, okay, I think I need help. I've been doing it for my own, on my own for so long now. And I remember I was traveling and I just wasn't replying to my emails and I wasn't getting back to my emails. And I was like, I'm just too busy. Like I can't, but I'm like, my, like you got to pay your rent, you know? But it's like a, what are you supposed to do? And I was like, cause in my head, and I think a lot of creators think this and it's like, oh, but I don't want them to take a cut of my money. Like right. I don't trust them. Like what if this, 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 and that? And I'm like, you got to realize though, that once you bring on a manager, they're going to make you. 20 times what you're probably pitching yourself as right now. So yeah, they're taking that cut, but you're going to be making more money. And I remember, um, I flew out to Texas to go see Haley Pham and Ryan. This was when they were just dating though. And I went out to see Haley and I stayed with her and we filmed a video together and everything. And she was the first creator that I ever hung out with. And it's coincidentally, our last names are both Pham. We both have the same birthday. We're both Vietnamese. And at that time, her mom was living with her. And now my mom lives with me now. And I just think it's so crazy because I think I owe a lot of like where I am today to Haley and how open she was to me. Um, But I remember talking to her and- during that like two days that we were hanging out, she showed me Final Cut Pro and like she was just putting me on to like all these new things.
0: Wait, what were you editing on before? I was editing
1: on iMovie. Oh, okay, and before yeah. that, it was Windows Movie Maker. All
0: right. You no, know? I yeah, yeah, I use Windows Movie Maker. That's how yeah. I learned. Yeah. Yes, yeah me too. Also, Colin's wearing Ryan's. shirt. Yeah, I know. Shirt. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Weird. Like I
1: love them both. Yeah. Like Ryan and Haley are the best. And I remember she was telling me about her manager. And I was like, oh my gosh, can you get me in contact with them? And this was when I was 16. So maybe this was like almost five years ago now, almost. And this was like, social media was not a big thing. Managements were not a big thing. And and I remember I asked Haley, I was like, hey, can you put me in contact with your manager? She's like, yes, of course. So she put me in contact with Charlie and I obviously trust Haley. I saw the things that she was doing. She was like the biggest female YouTuber at that time. And I was like, you know what? Like, I I trust her. And at that time, my manager was also managing Ava Jules as well. And I grew up watching Ava. So I was like, okay, well, if she manages these two creators, I trust it as well. And I went with her and the process was amazing. Like, they just opened me up to so many things I didn't know, but I remember we had a phone call and like we just went on the back end of my analytics and everything. And she was teaching me all about that and asking me like, you know, where do you wanna go? What do you wanna do? And I just realized like, oh, like this girl's rooting for me. Like she wants to see me win, cause she wins as well. And I think that from there on, like we've been together for so many years now. Um, Those
0: incentive structures and um, relationships are very important at an early stage of, uh, of a creator journey, but they're so finicky right mm-hmm. like it either is what you got which is like a great individual who you can build with over long periods of time or sometimes it can be predatory or like just not great yeah uh, and it's it's a challenge to decipher which one it is but i will say that on that note i think that's a really common feeling that i had too of i don't want to give a commission to someone like we're we're doing the hard work mm-hmm. like we're building but as you zoom out and recognize like it's not just about the pie getting bigger. It's also about where your focus and energy is. Mm-hmm. And like, if your focus and energy is on emailing and negotiating, that's it's actually-
1: like, that's not even what you're good and at. for a know? creative
0: mm-hmm. person, that's actually pretty draining. Mm-hmm. To, to mm-hmm. It, like, Then you have to, you have to have a tense conversation and then turn on a camera. All of a sudden you're in
2: a, in a different space. Yeah, so. yeah. So when you and Charlie first started working together, what was kind of the, the vision for what you wanted this to become?
1: Oh, well, I do got to say that if anyone's looking for a manager and they're like, I don't know what to do, ask around. Like, honestly, if you, creators. like, don't have any yeah. creator friends, DM everybody you know or, like, people you follow, and maybe, you'll, you'll get an answer and be like, hey, I'm, like, just starting out and, like, I need help. Like, I, I want to get a manager, but I don't know who. And I don't know. I think the creator space, especially the YouTube space, is so open. People will help you out. They'll be like, this is my management. And if you, like, notice – or, like, let's say you – um look in people's bios and you see everybody has the email with at this management, maybe, you know, you can vet mm-hmm. them out and know that they're mm-hmm. trusted. Um, but also just talking to people, I would say, because there's gonna be, especially rising creators, so many people are gonna be on them like, oh, like, let's work together, let's work together. And like, just saying, oh, I'll do this for you and I'll do that for you and leaving empty promises. But really, I think it's like having the connection between them and another creator is super important. Like, trust your yeah. creator first. And on
0: the inverse to like ma- potential managers or agents, the creator to creator conversation is the most likely scenario for you to sign talent. Mm-hmm. Like I truly believe that. Like I, I think that creators listen to other creators first, and creators that they respect first before they listen to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're represented by UTA. Like we, I, you, you can typically tell if someone likes their representation. If um, if I'm in conversation with someone who's looking for representation, I'm like, oh my God, I have to introduce you to my team. Yes. If that is the scenario, then typically you live, A, that creator lives in like a abundance mindset of like, I'm not scared if they sign someone else. It's it's great. Um, but also that means they really like their representation. Oh, yeah. And I like, would take that as a people signal. ask
1: me, like yeah. up and right, I actually was just talking to this TikToker and he's, going crazy right now. I'm not going to say his name, but he's like I don't know what to do. Everyone's hitting me up being yeah. like who do like I want to work with you and I'm meeting with agents and I'm like listen, these are like this is what they're going to say to you and this is yeah. that I like mine. This is how to vet it out. But yeah, I think that this is a problem that a lot of people go through.
0: Did you sign a contract at that age? Because at no. 16, you can't Yeah. So you didn't sign no. a contract. No. Yeah. I think that's I an important thing to talk about. I mean when I it do, com- but yeah, yeah. Yeah. when it comes
1: to stuff like that, I don't sign contracts. Specifically can,
0: in management and representation. Because you know yeah. what?
1: At the end of the day, if people are getting their bag, they're getting their bag. Why do you need a because people get screwed over?
0: Right. Mm. Yeah. I, I actually think that's an important thing to to talk about. That's not discussed a
2: lot, but like that, that is a completely okay option there yeah. of not you don't have to sign. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that you're in the place of leverage. Right. Yeah. As the creator.
1: Yeah, I think, oh my gosh. Sorry, guys. I know you asked the question, but we're going okay. to something else. I know my. I know so many creators to this day. They're like, I'm kind of scared of my manager. And I'm like, what do you mean scared of your yeah. manager? They're like, I have a deadline to make. Like, I need to make it or else my manager's going to be mad at me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, deadline's a deadline. But at the end of the day, like they're speaking like upon you, you know what I mean? If like you are going to be late with something or you're busy, tell them you're going to be busy and they'll relay that message. But like at the end of the day, you're the creator. Like you're the one bringing in the money. And like, you're kind of like, if I imagine at the pyramid, like you're here, not your manager, like stop thinking like that. Like, mm. don't be scared. But I think yeah. some,
0: there are there are some situations where creatives and creators want a boss. Ah. And then they they kind of place that on their representation, right? Because it's scary to be the one who's guiding the ship, mm. right? It's it's very scary to be like, all these decisions are mine. That's a really scary place to be as a young creative. And it does intersect right now. Like being a creator and being an entrepreneur is the same thing. Mm. You know, like we are all uh, entrepreneurs. We're running small businesses. And, you know, sometimes you're just thinking of yourself as the creative person who can make the video, not the CEO of your own company. And so when you find a manager who has like confident business acumen, then you're like, that's the CEO, mm. right? And I think it's never subconscious. i it from that
1: perspective. That's yeah, interesting. It's
0: subconscious, but it's very scary as a creative person to be like, all these decisions are mine. And you might be used to having a scenario, whether it's in school or whatever, where mm. there's a roadmap for you. And if someone has an authoritative voice that feels like that's the roadmap. Yeah. You know, that's, that's I think, I what like typically happens.
1: I, I want to try to, like, implement into creator's head, like, you know, you also have a voice and you can do whatever you want. Because I just see people, like, Create merch that they don't even like, and right. I'm like, "Why did you do that? Mm. Like, if you didn't like it, say that you don't like it and go work with somebody else." And they're like, "I don't know. Like, this is what my management said to do, and like, I've seen other people do it." And I'm like, "You know, you can you you have the world in the palm of your hands. You have this community. You can do whatever with. Like, if you want to go, freaking, I don't know, go to space. Tell your management that, and they'll try their hardest <laughs> to make it happen. But I've if been you saying don't, that to
2: our management for so no, long. right?
1: Like, oh, <laughs> get it together.
2: Yeah.
1: No, but like, if they have a vision." the people around them is there to make it happen, you know? Like, and I think that um, that's what I wish a lot of creators would realize is that they can really ultimately do anything and they have a support team if they do to like push it as much as possible. How so. big
0: were you when you signed to Charlie and, and Select? Like, and, and what were you making?
1: Um, I was, uh, I had 600,000 subscribers at that time and I had been doing it for almost 10 years at that point. And I think I was making... I was, I was making, I was making a good amount already. Just off of AdSense, though. I was got getting it. no brand deals. Zero brand deals. It was all off of AdSense. But that was the issue, is I was getting no brand deals. And to go off of what you were saying, like what was the vision that mm-hmm. we had? It was to make me more of a to make me a creator that got brand deals. And the reason why I say that is because I was somebody that was making content, cleaning my dirty room at 2 a.m. That's not very appealing to brands, you know, I was also a Canadian. And at that point, you know, the creator space wasn't really that big. And people, the US companies didn't know how to work with Canadians. It was just a huge thing about like law and stuff. They Mm -hmm. didn't want to cross that path. So that was also an issue as a Canadian creator, I wasn't making a lot of money. And also at that time, it was a lot of like, you know, just representation for people of color was not big. So Mm -hmm. I just was getting no attention from brands. And I think that was our biggest vision was to work on that and really be able to show people like, hey, like I'm here too.
0: We have a POV on how a creator becomes commercially viable to brands. But I'm curious, what were the steps that made you into someone who could work with brands?
1: So funny, is I remember coming to LA and I met my manager for the first time. We sat down at the Starbucks and she was like, okay, my, so talk to me. And we talked and I'm telling her about things that I want to do. She's like, yeah, like, let's definitely do that. Like, we can. Here's some pointers. She said maybe swear in your videos a little bit less. Um, The word ass is fine, but maybe mute all the other words, (laughs) you know? And um, I also just have such a strong community and I think brands are kind of seeing that, oh, you know, she can sell a product if she really wanted to sell a product. like, maybe we should start going this way. And I think, you know, sometimes brands are like, all right, let's test this out, whatever. Like, let's just do it. But then they see the conversion, they always come back and they're like, wait, let's do repeat brand deals because they see that it actually works. So. I actually don't know why or the process, but I'm curious as to what you think it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we can speak to this. Obviously, we're, we're working on a whole, um, I was telling you about it upstairs, like we're working on a course around this, because I think this is okay, a- course coming this out? Is, this is a framework that is not uh, understood, but I think one that is very important to understand. Um, we've talked about it before, but I think what you just said is important. Like I think as creators, what we have to recognize, first and foremost, is what is the product that we sell to a brand, right? And the product is not videos. The product is access to our audience. So if you, if you think about that, if you start with that framework of we are selling you essentially a key to a door to go talk to our audience, um, then the most important thing is a very clear depiction of who's on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Who is the audience, right? And why are they watching? And if you just start in that position of like, who are these people? Why are they here regularly? then you can start to understand what are the brands that fit naturally into that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the thing is that if you're, if, if you're a brand looking at your viewership, the numbers are interesting, but they're only interesting if I know who they represent. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's like number one is you need, a, you need a good, clear depiction of that. And then you have to arm your management with those tools to go out and oh. say mm-hmm. – what that is so that they can storytell on your
2: behalf. Mm-hmm, 100%,
1: right? 100%. And I think now I make a lot of videos where like that naturally where a brand would look at and be like, oh, that could be us. Like I make videos just shopping at Target for products. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I just talk about products for 10 minutes straight in a Target, or I make videos about a glow up. And I go through maybe like 10 different stages, getting my hair cut, getting my hair dyed, doing my nails, waxing my eyebrows, going through the whole makeup, doing a whole hair thing. And it's like, those are 10 different segments for a brand to look at and be like, wait, she uses all of these different products. And I just naturally like to do it for fun. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a big way that um, I was able to brand myself to be a little bit more brand friendly is opening up that opportunity for a brand to come in and take that spot.
2: What do you think is your competitive advantage in that genre? Because obviously there's like a ton of uh, beauty, lifestyle, travel bloggers on YouTube. But I feel like you've carved out like a unique space. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear like, what do you think is your POV on what maybe separates you from other people? If like Charlie's going out to sell, it's like, no, my is the person for this brand.
1: I would never lie. I would never (laughs) lie. If I think something is bad, I will tell people in the video, like I won't, I'm not going to say the brand, but in this recent vlog that I posted, I'm talking about this brand. I'm like, I used to use them a lot, but I'm not going to lie. They got way worse over the years. And it's like, I'm not scared to say that, you know? And it's like, I can do both ends. I can say something's good, but I can also say something's bad. And I think that I have a very strong opinion about things. And I think maybe that's. What it is is that people can trust what I say because they know that I'm not only talking highly about things. Like, I will tell them if I hate mm-hmm. something.
2: And trust takes time, I think, so to your point. Of, like, your the amount of years you've spent building trust with your audience, with YouTube, the platform, shows brands like, oh, okay, she, this is a sophisticated operation we can come into. Like, mm-hmm. this is a trusted space for our products.
1: Oh, I guess so. Yeah, and actually that goes into a lot with my clothing brand, Alchemy, because I— have never worked with a merch company and I've been doing it for so, so, so long now. And I remember when I was 15, I did a little bit of merch once, but even then I wasn't working with a company because at that time I didn't have management. And I also, no companies knew who I was. So I remember ordering a hundred Gildan blanks online and then getting it to my house and then getting them embroidered at a local shop in Edmonton and selling that as merch. And my brother and I did the photo shoot together. And like, that was what I did because I knew that I was making the product and I knew exactly what it was and I liked it. But throughout the years, I had a lot of people hitting me up being like, let's do this. Let's do that. Because they saw the community and they saw what I could sell. And I could see it, too. My management could see it. And everyone was kind of like, "My, why are you not selling anything right now? Like, you're losing out on so much money. And I knew that deep down in my heart, too. It sucked. But all these merch companies would be making me um, clothes and stuff. And I would receive them. I'm like, I would never wear this. Like, honestly, to be honest, I would never wear this. So I never wanted to sell it. And I knew that I was losing out, but I also knew that me releasing something that I wouldn't even wear myself is going to, in the long run, be way worse for me because it's like you're losing that trust with the people that love you, you know? It's like they may come get it once, but they're never going to come back for anything ever again. And it's like, ugh, I don't want to do that. So I think that that was also a big thing with my clothing line is that I wanted to make sure that I developed a product that I genuinely really loved so that when I spoke about it, people could see the passion behind it and see why I love it so much.
0: There's a great, um, there's great advice that we got from a podcaster named Tim Ferriss, who was on the show, who said credibility is a scarce resource. Like the reality is that you can spend years building credibility, but it's just one action that can take it away. And that's a, you have to be very careful as a creator in what you do and the actions you take.
1: I saw this creator on TikTok and she was reviewing this makeup product a couple months ago and she said, it's terrible. She just did a branded sponsored post for that same makeup product and people are blasting her online. I'm like, don't do that. Why did you just do that for a quick bag? Because now the people that trust you are never going to trust you again. And I think that's such a big thing.
0: I think there's a level though of like gamification that we're connected to as creators where, you know, our connection to the the views going up, our connection to um, the the money going up, it's all just numbers on a screen going up. Of course it can unlock interesting experiences in your life, but that's also a game. It's also interesting to get access to things and access to people. Um, So I think that there's like a deep connection to the short-term excitement of winning the game, mm-hmm. right? Of like, as long as the numbers are going up, it's fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second the numbers start going down, you start going like, wait, how, how do I? And to have like a dead set value system is pretty hard. Oh, mm-hmm. well, That's I was going to say, hard. I think
1: it's so important though. It's important, but it's hard. Because having that value system, it gets you through those tough times totally. when you're like, oh no, what am I going to do? Like I think that mm-hmm. having those deep instilled principles is like gets me through everything.
0: Was merchandise something that you and your and Charlie talked about right mm-hmm. when you got signed? Oh like, no, was it... not right
1: away. Not okay. right away. No. It was just progressively throughout the years. You know, they suggest things like how can we build your business? And it's like, all right, like let's do merch, let's do merch. And like she helped me connect with a bunch of different companies. I had so many different companies sending me samples every single day. And every single one of them, I was like, no, 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 hate, hate, hate. And I was like, you know what? Let's stop this whole operation. I'm going to go figure this out myself. And they were just like, okay, like, good luck. Because what, what like 17 year old creator goes to figure this out herself? You know, like, nobody.
0: Mm. I'm curious what the team looks like because you're describing a team. When did it start to grow and establish? Like, I
1: just signed on agents, but that's more for expanding my clothing business, I would say, like being able to tap into different pockets. Um, and then, like, you know, business manager, legal, all that. But it's a very small, crew. Oh, and then I have my production manager, which cool. that's, he's probably the person I speak to the most. So yeah. where
2: does your production manager fit into your editing process?
1: So my production manager is actually for my clothing line. Okay, And that's why I was saying, I remember oh, going- like
2: production of clothing.
1: Production. And he's like the- yeah. m- when we go into the pie about everything, you guys will see why, but he's like a huge crucial part of my business. I remember I walked into this office going back to the other story and I was like thinking if I was going to make a clothing brand, but I didn't really know exactly what, but I knew I wanted it to be an extra large hoodie because I love extra large hoodies and I want to be able to sell something that I'm passionate about, but none of the extra large hoodies would ever fit properly because, you know, like if you're buying an extra large hoodie, it's going to be baggy on the bottom and it's just going to look like very big, but they are so comfortable. I love wearing an extra large hoodie because you can wear no pants with it. And it's just like a comfortable vibe, you know And so I go into there and i'm like listen, I want to make a hoodie but only make it one size and All the men in the room and I say men because it was only men in this room They were like don't do that and I was like why and they were like that will never work out Like one size like that's never gonna work out People are gonna be so upset at you like who does one size like that's never gonna work out and when I keep saying they say that like Everyone was just praying for my downfall. They were like, it's not going to work out, girl. Right. So I'm telling them I want to do this one size. And then I tell them this. And this is where they're like, get out of my face. Like, this is not going to work. <laughs> I tell them I want the bottom to be like scrunched. Because like the bottom of this hoodie is scrunched like this. Mm-hmm. And they were like, do not do that. That is what <laughs> people that make cheap clothes do because they don't know how to sew properly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shut up. I promise you it's going to work out. So um, they helped me like make the sample. And we went back and forth with manufacturers for a year straight until it was perfect. Because I didn't like any of the fabric that was made. And I was like, oh, like this just sucks. So they ended up having to custom mill a fabric for me. And that's why now the hoodie is a custom milled fabric, custom cut and sew and all that stuff. But we ended up making the hoodie that it is today. It's like a one size Alchemy hoodie with this huge hood that fits over your head with headphones and everything. But... That's my production manager that I work with now. Yeah. And we work just one-on-one with each other. And um, like he helps me with everything because we manufacture everything here in LA. And so it's all at different places. We get the fabric made at one place. We get it cut and sewn at another place. We get it printed at another place. And then we have a warehouse at another place. Wow. So it's a lot of communication to make so this whole this thing go around. So
0: is like fully, you made it. Yes. Like it's your It's blank, a very right? like you, custom hoodie. Wow. Like
1: there's no, like the fabric, even down to like, the quality that you feel here, it's fa- like custom. And the reason why is not because we're like making some mohair, like expensive fabric. It's very expensive to make it in LA. Yeah. But it's just because I need this hoodie to fit in such a certain way and for it to be one size and fit everybody and because it, it fits a size extra small to double XL and for that to work, you needed to have it to like fall a certain way. Yeah. And if the fabric is 20 gram, like 10 grams GSM heavier, I will notice and I'll be like, this does not look right. It looks like it's swallowing me. And it's like, that's how important this custom fabric is.
0: Hmm. It's so interesting because I, as I was writing about this episode this morning, I was thinking about you as a designer because you're speaking like a designer. Like I, again, I grew up in a in a clothing family. Like I grew up in a Garmento family, like a mm. downtown Los Angeles Garmento family. Like my dad had the, you know, the, uh, uh, what's it called? The measuring measuring tape tape around his neck my whole life. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you watch him in, in in measure fabric or look at, you know, a a piece of clothing and he's, he's operating around it in a way that I don't understand, um, that probably we operate around in like a video timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, but to become a Garmento like that is like a whole, like that's a whole thing. Oh my gosh. So why don't we do the pie chart? Cause you, you mentioned that, like, what is your my fam business pie chart.
1: I would say that in the grand scheme of things, um, Alchemy probably makes sixty-five to seventy-five percent of my money. Wow! Wow! And then the brand deal side and everything makes twenty-five percent.
0: Brand deals and AdSense combined. Brand
1: deals and AdSense combined.
0: Whoa! Yeah. So okay, that's super interesting. That's surprising. <clears throat> yeah. Because wow. you haven't done
2: that many drops. I haven't done that And you only many have drops. one SKU, essentially, right? Different I mean, designs, right? But the same.
1: Um, different designs, but we only have one <clears> SKU. <skew, throat> and I've made more money off of Alchemy than I ever have in my whole entire life doing brand deals
0: okay. and AdSense. So here's the thing that gets me about merchandise. Like, <clears throat> for people to understand how hard that is to do, like, the margins on what you're doing are slim, Right. No. no, And that's
1: why I wanted to make my own business is because these merch companies would come to me and say, we're going to do a 70-30 split. And obviously you can negotiate that, but I was like, absolutely not. Like my community is the thing that's driving these sales and you're going to take this much from doing it. Like I can learn this myself, but also if I'm not passionate about what I do, how am I supposed to sell it to people? Like if I'm just like, oh, here's a piece of fabric, like go sell it. Of course I could, but I want to be able to show people like how much I love this product. So hopefully that they, get it, and they're like, wait, I understand why. And I think that's why I wanted to do it all myself with my production manager, Justin, because now I can learn and understand like how things are made so that I know more about my business. Like I am in LA right now, and I'm about to go to the factory later today and go check things out and see how things are going. This morning, I had one of the guys that work at the factory come pull up to the house with two hoodies, being like, okay, we made two. Because you know what I noticed? We made a black one, and we noticed that when we dyed it with the black fabric, I mean with the black dye, it made the ribbing a little bit bit more soft and stretchy. And when I put it on, I wore it throughout the day. I was like, this is falling down. Like this is not holding up like how the rest of them do. And it's the fact that I know my product so well that I can do product control like that Mm -hmm. and know what I'm selling. He comes to me, he's like, okay, we took three inches off of this. We took two inches off of this, try it on. And I could try it on and tell him, this is what I like. And I think being so invested into my business, Was a big reason as to why it's so successful because I actively try to learn about the business. Well,
0: now that the lion's share of the revenue comes from being a
2: designer and being a a garmento again, like I guess
1: so. (laughs) Like, yeah,
2: can you you give us an idea of like roughly how many hoodies you've sold?
1: Yeah, we've sold um, the last job we did. We sold six thousand in less than thirty six hours.
0: Okay, that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 yeah, that's, that's a lot of yeah. uh, hoodies.
1: And, and you, keep in mind, you don't we promote didn't even, that on, we YouTube. didn't even promote it on YouTube. I've never spent a penny on ads. We didn't send any to influencers until after we sold out.
2: So, so can you tell us, can you tell us how you promote them? How do you make that happen without your biggest distribution outlet?
1: I just talk about it on Instagram stories.
2: On which account?
1: On my private account.
0: On your spam account. On my okay. spam account. So. We are yet to be accepted uh, to oh, the spam sorry, account.
1: Because guess what? I only accept <laughs> so, like twice a
0: year. I know. And I don't, it's it's a very cool model that I had never heard of before until we were having dinner in New York and you were telling me about it. And I was like, what? So can you explain the spam account and how it came about, what it is, how you get accepted, and even the concept that you you promote the hoodies
1: there. Yeah. So mm. when I was 15, I got suspended from high school. Why? We're vlogging on YouTube. And this is when I lived in a different high school. I was going to a different high school. I lived in a different city and I remember they called my mom and they were like, you have to come drive up here to have a meeting with us. And this girl does not know how to drive. So someone else had to drive her up to the city. It was just a big pain in the ass. We sit down in the office. It's like literally a three minute meeting and they're just, your daughter has been suspended. And it's because, because you were making vlogging. vlogs. yeah, Interesting. And it was a new high school, right? So it's like, I don't know the rules. Like in my old school, I was allowed to do whatever. So they suspended me. And keep in mind, I was like, uh, up to that point, I was an honor student until I got to that school. Just my mental health was so bad. So when they suspended me and like my whole like person, like everything I knew about myself came kind of crashing down because I used to be this straight A student that never got in trouble. Like I was by the book. And when they suspended me, I was like, what's going on? Like, it's like, they didn't even care about me. Like they couldn't have talked to me. They couldn't have done anything. It's like, I just felt like I didn't know. I didn't have a sense of self anymore. And when that happened, I, um, decided to film a video and I went and I got a tattoo at 15 and, um, I didn't want my parents to know because I got a tattoo and I was 15. So I made a private account and I made a YouTube video glowing up cause I got suspended. And I was like, and I also got a tattoo, but if you guys want to see that, go follow the private account. So I could filter who's following it and know that my family was not seeing it. So that's, that's how it all started, was that I was sharing things on there that I didn't want like my family or like maybe close friends to really be seeing. I could really just be fully myself. And I've had that for almost six years now, and that's kind of, it's just
0: How grown. many people follow it now? Uh,
1: 524,000 followers.
0: And all of those are individually accepted by you? Yes,
1: like I literally oh my have gosh. to. gosh.
2: That's wild.
1: Like I think people think that I have people do this for me, and I. Five hundred and twenty-four thousand. Yes. Uh, oh,
2: wow. Okay. So Over there's half a million people. There's half a million people. Yeah, oh, it you
1: was know so crazy. That account gets more likes than my main account.
0: <laughs> but that makes sense.
1: <laughs> I'm like, ugh. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Care it's, more a, there. it's a more essentially you took the model of like thousand true fans, right, and moved it into this private Instagram account, Blow but it up you, to half a million. But you have half a million true fans, and so now it makes sense to me that essentially you're promoting your apparel into your most dedicated fan base.
1: Yeah, that's how it all started was like doing that. And I really like to show people the behind the scenes of what I'm thinking. Like I'll show them like I'm debating between this blue color or this one. Like what do you guys think? Mm. And that just goes with everything. If I'm stuck on a thumbnail, I'll put it on my story. And in two minutes, I'll have thousands of people being like this one, this one, this one. And it's just like, that way, like, I know what they want, and that way they feel like they're included. Like, it's a very It's a video mutual, game
0: feel to them, yeah, too, from the audience. And
1: that's how it all started, was, like, with that. <clears> and um, the issue is, is that, like, we're selling out so fast that people are getting upset that the people that don't follow that account can't get can't it. Can't buy. Because, like, we actually, with the last drop, we made three different <clears> designs, <throat> and the one that people really wanted sold out before it even made it to the main account, because basically I let the spam account have it 24 hours before, um, and they got early release, and they got a password to go onto the site. And by the time I dropped it to the main account, it was supposed to be 24 hours after. But I had to release it on the main account only a couple hours after because I noticed we sold 2,000 in four hours, and I was it was we were sold out of one of the hoodies, and I felt bad. I was like, "Damn, like these people can't get it." So now we're shifting the business model a little bit because it's starting to become very like unfair. But in different ways, we're doing things for the spam account still. And say so by we, I mean me. <laughs>
2: So, meaning you'll start releasing some items that are for…
1: Yeah, life. I mean, I'll do… I'll Right now, I'm working on a spam account exclusive drop where, you know, they're going to come with me through the whole process um, and pick the Pantone, and they're going to be able to, like, pick the design, and we're going to be able to, like, figure out exactly what we want to do with it, and I'll just release it only to them to buy. And, That's like, that way so it's like a cute little thing where it's like, oh, you only have this if you're part of the spam account.
0: It's not too dissimilar from what people do with Patreon or membership. It's a mm-hmm. membership club, yeah. right? But it's free. But it's free. But it's exclusive. It's exclusive. That's the thing. Is like you can't just get in. Okay. So the question I have for you: I'm fascinated by the use of the spam account to sell, you know, merchandise, and that that is driving like such high quantity of sales. Um, Obviously, I would assume the vision is that you want to be able to drive sales through YouTube, or do you not ever want to try and drive sales through YouTube? I do. You do. It just means that
1: we have to make so many and. I put all the money up front from my bank account. There's nobody doing this for me. Like, I'm the one wiring all these different vendors' money. And once it starts getting to the 10000 mark of making things, that's when you start getting into the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars being put up. And that's a huge, like, upfront expense. Mm, expense. And, like, that's when it starts getting a little bit like, I don't know. And I think I have this feeling of, like, imposter syndrome where I like don't know like what I can do. So I always like lowball myself and I'm like, okay, I don't know. I'm going to do a low amount. Then it ends up selling out before I can even make a YouTube video. Have
2: but that's peop- the goal. Have people ever come to you interested in investing to help you like to help front the costs so that you do have those quantities?
1: Um, I don't think I've really opened myself up to it yet because I don't think that that's something that like I have the issue with is putting up the upfront money. I just think that I need to I've only been doing it for a year, you know? So like, I don't have, I'm slowly building, I would say. Because Mm -hmm. every time we do a drop, I almost double it. There's also
0: experience and confidence and, you know, understanding sell-through rates, right? Now you're getting into, again, like the the clothing business. And when you get to that point, there are opportunities for like revenue-backed financing, right? Where like Shopify offers this, where it's essentially you can... um, they can base how much money they give you up front off of your sales. Really? Yeah. So like, I
1: didn't even know that. And
0: there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who will like factor, like there's this, the clothing industry has existed long before YouTube, yeah. right? This problem has existed long before uh. YouTube, but the pace at which people can sell is pretty unique in the clothing business. And like selling 6,000 units of a hoodie is, is very- In the middle of summer. In the it middle of July. summer. Is, yeah, that's crazy. It was literally
1: like and July.
0: one of many drops is super unique, right? And- yeah. I would assume, and tell me if I'm wrong, but the next iteration is like expansion of SKUs.
1: Yes, so we're gonna be doing zip-ups, we're gonna be doing uh, track pants, sweatpants. I'm gonna be releasing journals because I'm very much into like journaling and, you know, visioning your dream life. And that's a huge thing for me. So I want to be able to create my own journal and just like create things that I like am passionate about. So expanding on just clothes, like I want to create incense holders, like things like that, cool. where it becomes more of a lifestyle brand. And that way it can grow with me as well. You know,
0: totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting to go from, if we, if we look back at some of the conversation we had around, how do you make yourself commercially viable? We talked about creating space in your content to talk about products and brands that you like. Yeah. What's amazing about when you are a creator like yourself is that you can replace those with your own brand. Yeah, right. And that's like the that's the really interesting uh, path that creators like an Emma Chamberlain or like Mr Beast talk about
1: it. He said, you know, sponsors can't really afford me anymore because you know it's gotten too much. So instead, he creates his own product that he can just put into every single one of his videos, and boom, it's literally he has a shoppable shelf, and I have it as well, right underneath your video. Right. Mm. So it's like instead of having a brand pay you, why don't you just create your own product?
2: I think it's funny, it's like even in this immediate environment, I'm wearing Ryan Trahan's shirt, you're wearing your own hoodie and you're wearing our hat. Yep. Like all three of us already have represented different creator, creator products, items, yeah. which is amazing.
0: What are some of the challenges? Because I think there's a lot of creators who want to produce apparel, um, us being one of them. And it's, even though I'm from like a Garmento family, producing apparel is really hard for us. It's not natural. And Not natural it's, at all. It's not a natural thing to do. It's totally different from the ease of which when you grow on YouTube, the ease of which you can be like, I can make a YouTube video and get a brand deal and just get, you know, I can grow my revenue by doing that. Making the decision to make apparel is really hard and it's cost intensive, it's time intensive. Quality control is an issue. Controls Quality control is yeah. yeah. a
1: huge issue, yeah. So for,
2: and it's your face on the line as a creator
1: when mm-hmm.
0: something goes out. Mm-hmm. So for other creators like who are exploring merchandise, like what, what is the roadmap I mean, I'm also asking for us personally, like how how do you get good at making merch and doing drops and um, making apparel a big part of your business?
1: I would say the biggest thing is making sure that you are proud of what you stand by because there's going to be such tough times. And if you don't like what you're making, it's going to be so easy to give up. Like, I have never cried more from anything than this business because when you have this much money on the line and you also have, so many people waiting on you. Like, you know, I built up my community for so, so, so long. And if a shipment is delayed and like, where do we like don't have like maybe the poly bags in stock and it's like, oh my God, these people are going to have to wait a week and people are going to be so mad. That's another level of stress that like, I've never even had in my entire life. Like I just had to learn that. And I think that if I didn't love what I made and wasn't passionate about the product, I wouldn't have... Been able to follow through and keep doing drops, so I would say that's one of the biggest things is like really like what you're making, and whether that be like the design on the back of the shirt or on the hat, like make sure that you feel invested into it. And because if some people like this, but some people will just like make like companies will make designs for creators and be like, hey, tell us which one you like, and we'll just sell it for right. you. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, you're getting money in your pocket, but like. Do you really love it? Like, are you passionate about it? So I would say that's one of the biggest things is make sure you are making something that you genuinely love and really think about, like, yourself. Like, what do you wear a lot? Like, do you wear a lot of hats? Do you wear a lot of shirts? Do you wear hoodies? Maybe you really love socks. Like, take something you really love and just start with that and and do one thing at a time. Don't think that you need to make, like, a whole entire merch line for people to buy. Like, focus on one thing and then once you get the hang of that, do the next. And I think for me... That's worked a lot just because I already am so overwhelmed with business. Like, and like it's a great like I'm really grateful to feel that way. But also at the same time, like I don't know how it would manage 10 different things. But just having one thing to focus on is really, really mm-hmm. helpful to me.
0: It's so interesting because we talk about this a lot, but like we're in this new era of entrepreneurship where uh it used to be it, you know, you make the product and then you go out and try and find customers. But what you did is essentially build a customer base first and then find a product that matches that customer base, mm-hmm. right? So it is it is very different, but you're also building in pub- public and making mistakes mm-hmm. in front of everyone.
1: With Alchemai, that was one of my biggest things. It was like, what if I put hundreds of thousand of dollars into this and I don't sell any? Like, what if it flops? Like, I'm out of a lot of money and people are going to be able to see that it flopped. But something that I always have to remind myself is that Even if I fail, I'll always be able to be back in the position that I am right now without trying, like that if I don't try. And what I mean by that is like, okay, let's say I put money into this business and it didn't work out, and now I'm actually in the negatives and I'm set back from where I am right now here. I've gotten myself here in this position and I know how to build myself back up to here and that gives me the confidence to go out and try new things because I know that I'll always be able to work myself back up to where I am today but I'm never going to know what's out there until I try.
0: Totally. How do you approach brand deals now? Um, Because you do a lot of uh, brand deals with like very blue chip brands, right? Like a cover girl, right? is an example. Um, And now that you you said 75% of your revenue comes from your brand, your clothing brand. Are you more are, are you? Is it easier for you to say no to brand deals and yeah. to to money that comes in the door from brands? And yeah. how do you approach that? From what you say yes to, what you say no to? Um, what does your brand deal business look and feel like?
1: So I would say I do a lot of brand deals. Like I yeah. like that's honestly what I'm like busy doing a lot of the time is filming things, taking meetings for that, and that's like a big portion of what takes up my time in a business is doing brand deals, even though it's not making me the bigger chunk of it. Um, it's just because I genuinely, like, love a lot of brands. So when they come to me and they're like, hey, we want to do something, I'm like, uh, duh, like, let's do something. And to me, it's cool because I'm using these brands from when I was a kid. And now that they want to work with me, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, let's do it. So I think that I have the freedom to say no to brand deals. But honestly, like, it doesn't happen as often as you would think that it happens because I genuinely, like, love a lot of the brands that I work with. Um, but I would say that it's definitely nice being able to, you know, filter them out. Yeah.
0: Which platforms, like, how do you rank your platforms when it comes to brand deals? Like, are most of them happening on TikTok? Is that where the highest rates are? Is it YouTube, Instagram? Like, how, how does the brand deal business work across platforms?
1: I would say that I get them paid the most from YouTube brand deals, but YouTube brand deals also take a hundred times longer than a TikTok would take. And you don't get paid a hundred times as much as you would a TikTok. Mm. Um, But YouTube is where I get the most, actually, no, I think more recently it's evened out. I get the same amount of TikTok as I do YouTube now, but I think that it's because I've posted a lot on TikTok and I've made TikTok my platform to try out beauty products, to tap into the beauty product world. Got it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a format there that's probably more easily,
1: Well, like it's just like being able to do a get ready with me and all you're doing is talking about a beauty product. Like that's so much easier. And making a TikTok is so much easier than making a YouTube video. (laughs) So I'm more prone to accept a TikTok than a YouTube. Yeah. I think
0: oftentimes creators don't think about the margin. Right. So like if it's the exact same amount of money, right, if it's like twenty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars to make uh, for a brand deal integration into YouTube versus Instagram versus TikTok, the margins are actually different on all of those. Right. Because mm-hmm. an Instagram might be a story or might be a photo. Uh, the TikTok is filmed on phone and probably caught on phone and way easier. Mm-hmm. And the YouTube video is a lot of a lot of things and a lot of nailing. edits yeah and it's like, a lot of revisions uh. and like, yeah it's, and so you think about like obviously in clothing you think about margin where you're like here's my production cost but i think as creators we typically fail to think about our time and energy as a as a cost right uh, of yeah. of going into something yeah so yeah i think i think that is really interesting and i, I think TikTok is naturally the place where- Yes, and you know what I
1: think it is, is that with TikTok, when brands have like a, a pile of money and they're like, we need to distribute this, it's easier to give it to 10 TikTokers, 10 TikTokers and like have the rates be kind of low than to give it to one like or two YouTubers because mm. the rate for a YouTube video is so high so that I high. think that brands are struggling to catch up with the audience. Like, you know, like the, the audience that a creator has to yeah. like be able to pay them that rate. And I think that that's why- like my TikTok and my YouTube is a lot more evened out now is because some brands may not be able to afford a YouTube video, but maybe I genuinely really love them and we want to work together. I'll mention them in my YouTube videos because I love them, but we can't do a branded segment mm. together, but maybe we can do a TikTok together, you know? Mm. So it's like, if I really love the brand, I'll figure out a way to make it work out.
2: You consume like more TikTok than YouTube or YouTube than TikTok from like a sort of like studying the landscape, seeing what's going on.
1: Ah. <sighs> Feel like both, but to be honest, I'm a YouTube girl at heart. Yeah. I love YouTube videos. Like I just like seeing what people are up to, but I also like to be inspired. Like I always need new things to put into my YouTube videos. And I'm like, oh, they did a shot like this. They did this like this. I
2: think longer form too. It's more conducive to that feeling of friendship, which yeah. also you started with, like your initial feeling of like, oh, I'm actually with these people mm-hmm. for yeah. an extended mm-hmm. period of time. And that's like that's what you get on YouTube, as opposed to like these people are like. You can just go from one to the next to the next. I feel
1: like you learn so much on YouTube. And I, like, sometimes learn on TikTok and I'll get book recommendations or something. But on YouTube, like, I'll be watching some girl's video and she'll start talking about some random fact that she learned about working out. And then I'm like, oh, my God, all of a sudden I want to work out because you just told me this (laughs) random fact about, like, working out at 7 a.m. is better than working out at this time. I'm like, okay, cool. Because you have the time (laughs) to explain to people the reasons why you do things. But in a TikTok, you don't. Yeah. You can't explain anything. Or like on YouTube, I'll be watching a video. And the next thing you know, I'll be seeing your guys' video. And I'll click on that. And I'll be like, oh, I wonder what they're up to. And Mm -hmm. like, I just, I I feel like it's a productive way of going on social media. Like YouTube is the most productive one.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I totally feel the exact same way. Um, So earlier in the conversation, you brought up that the past four months have been really challenging for you in business. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you learned from those challenges and how do you apply them to kind of the next chapter of what you're doing?
1: I'll say a couple. One of them is to make sure that I'm careful about the things that I say before I share them with other people that I'm like potentially working with. And the only reason why I say that is because sometimes I forget that the people that I'm working with, like, you know, their job is their livelihood. And sometimes if I like say an idea too fast and I don't have a structure or a plan, it can stress people out because they're like, okay, so you're saying that we're going to go to the moon, but how are we going to go to the moon? Like, what are we going to go to the moon? Like where, where Like, where? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, y'all, it's just an idea right now. Like we're going to figure it out, but like, we'll get there. And I think a lot of the times it can overwhelm people and they'll start asking a lot of questions like, How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And it's like, I don't even know what's going on. So now that there's the pressure of other people relying on me for something, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm about to break Mm -hmm. down. Like, I don't know what to do. So that's like one of the things that I've learned is just to really like be careful about the things that I say and make sure I know what I'm doing before I go and share it with the world. Um, And I think that it's just honestly just like a reminder that good times are going to come and bad times are going to come. But just to accept it and that know that there's going to be better times because it's never always just going to be going down. There's going to be a point where you're going to go back up again and it's going to get better, but then you're always going to go back down. And when you zoom out and see the grand scheme of things, life is always going like this. And if you're listening on, on Spotify or Apple Music, just know that I'm like doing waves <laughs> right now. Yeah. I'm doing waves. Yeah. It's just going to come and go. Yeah. Um. And I think that that's just something that I really just implemented back into my brain because during those times, I didn't think that it was going to get better, any better. Like I would go to sleep at night being like, I don't know if this is going to get any better. Like uh, what am I going to do tomorrow? Like I just had so many things to deal with that I couldn't see the other side of things. And obviously coming out of it now, I'm like, Psh- You're coming out of it better than ever. If anything, that happened for a reason. And now, like, I'm really glad that those things happened. And I think that I I did a whole journal entry about this. And I was just writing about how, like, I'm, like, I was just writing about the seasons of life. And I, I wrote that in there to remind myself, because I read back on my journal sometimes, that whenever I have a hard time again, I can come back to this and see how, you know, tough I was like the tough time that I was having and then kind of look back on my life now and be like, "Oh wait, it's so great." Mm. And I think that's actually something mm. that I do a lot is read back my old journal entries to make myself feel better. That is something that I do often mm. and I just recently started doing it more.
0: Love that. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing cuz your videos are also almost like Almost like that. Journal but you know what's so crazy
1: is that in my journal entries from two years ago, I read one from two years ago when I was living in LA, and I was just writing out all of these things. Like, I want to start a clothing business. I was mm. writing about alchemy before right. it was even started. I was like, I want to start a clothing business. I think it could make me this much money a month. In order for it to make this much money for me a month, I think I would have to uh, make this many products, and then I would have to sell them at this price in order to make that money. And if I made that much a month, then I would be making this much a year. And I really conceptualized this out it's in my journal for it to piece. seem yeah. achievable to me because a lot of the times we like have these big ideas in our head, but we don't think that we're capable of doing these things and we just kind of put them to the side and we don't feel like we're um we don't believe in ourselves and I think that whenever I have an idea now I think it's very important for me to write down in my journal that idea and then conceptualize it like how am I going to do it what people would I need to know to do this like what connections would I need to have in order to make this work out and even if like I don't know how to do any of the things that are on this piece of paper right now it just allows me to vi- envision like what my life would be like and how I would make that work and I mean that way it Clears up free space in my mind to think of new ideas because I have that written down. I know it's always there, but it also makes me like believe in myself and kind of look at that and be like, wait, like I know how to do this and I know how I would do this. Maybe I just don't have the time right now, or maybe I don't have the money to do this right now, or maybe I don't know the right people, but I know if I had these things, how I would do it. And then that way, like it seems more attainable for me to do and achievable. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're doing that, it, it, yeah. You write it all down and you forget about it and eventually you're going to do these things every single day subconsciously that you don't even realize that are working towards those goals and I only say that because I look back at these old journals and I see all the things that I conceptualize in my mind and I look at it two years later and I'm like wait I haven't thought about that and it happened.
0: Yeah. I agree yeah. with that. I'm yeah. a full-blown believer in manifestation and yeah. writing things down.
1: A hundred percent. I think I manifested Wh- my
0: whole life. What's on the manifestation list next? Ugh. Can you share?
1: (laughs) Uh, So, 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 so many different things. Um, I think one of the things on the manifestation list would be, I have to be careful with what I say. Let's think. Uh... I think one of the things on the manifestation list is getting Alchemy to work with brands that I genuinely love, like a a suitcase company, you know, and like being able to collaborate with different brands and really expand the business out to like be like a, Mm
2: -hmm. I don't know, Mm -hmm. like a
1: big business. And that's like one of the big things that I'm working towards. It's just like becoming more of a businesswoman.
2: Mm Do you ever anticipate a time when you're not on YouTube or you're not on the internet? Do you think out to the future and go, okay, at some point I want to be, I wanna be done, I wanna be off the internet. I don't wanna be as available as I am now to all of these people.
1: Naturally, like I love just sharing my life to people online and maybe it won't be to this extent in the future or maybe it'll be even more in the future. But I think that a part of me is always going to want to like share my experiences with people or like help people. And I think that something that I want to be is like a window of light for people, for people to like watch my videos and kind of see what I'm doing and be like, wait, maybe I can do that too. Because I saw where she was five years ago and where she is now and it inspires me. And I think that that's something that I'm super passionate about is inspiring people and giving people hope. In their life, Because I know that I was once in a position where I didn't have any hope and I would look to people online and be like, damn, what if that could be me one day? And that kind of drove me through every single day. And I want to be able to be there for people in that way. So in whatever I do, whether it be a business or making content online, maybe being an actor or a singer, I always want to be there and sharing my story of how I got there to inspire people.
0: I love that. Yeah. It's great. my, thanks so much for sharing. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. And thank
1: you for having me. I really appreciate Uh, it. Of course. Yes. If anyone wants to um, get these hoodies, just look at this hood, okay? Imagine you're you're on an airplane and you're like, oh my God, like I need to go to sleep. You're on the bus. Watch. (laughs) Boom. All of a sudden, you have a sleeping (laughs) mask. That's the value prop. I love that. You have your your, your headphones on, your hair up in a bun. This will still fit. Alchemy.la. Shop now if it's available. If not, follow the Instagram.
0: <laughs>
2: it's like the hot ones moment hope, at the end of yeah, the show, and they're like, right. "All right, there you yeah, go." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> funny.
0: And hopefully, one day we
2: get uh, accepted to the spam account. One day. Yeah, oh, yeah. Are yeah we, I think we're crazy. gonna end up with a hoodie before we're even a member. Yeah, yeah, of the yeah. honestly, so,
1: probably. Yeah. yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs>